welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Tuesday, February 6th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm always trying to figure out how best to use the like last hour or so before podcasting. So I was like watching one on YouTube and I couldn't really focus on the podcast. So I was just staring at the mics and looking like where they were pointed, which is useless because it's a different kind of, it's like the classic podcaster SM7B40 something, you know, sure the podcast mic which I have the streamer mic instead, um, trying to replicate it anyway. And that's what I'm focusing on. How are you doing? I am running out of steam today, but been a very, very productive day. One of my, one of my better ones since the new year has started that sunlight just, it gives you a jolt. It gives you a kick in the pants. And we've had as much sunlight here in London in the last three days as we did the entire month of January. And I had a busy day at work, went right to training, then came home, did a little bit of work while I ate dinner, and then set maybe a world record in grocery shopping. Okay. Four. I'm intrigued. I left my house at 8.09, or 8.10, call it, back in the door with groceries at 8.26. Oh, my. Like you order them ahead online and just pick them up or nope. up and down the aisles had had the list given was a bit of a shorter uh yeah. grocery list this week how many no. bags are we talking three but not full bags yeah it was about half the normal grocery shop because uh we are doing a food delivery service this week which i will not name no free ads but <laughs> up and down the aisles but I, we're looking at like 12, 13 items in the bags, driving to the grocery store back 16 minutes. And that was, that capped off my very productive day. I'm ready to relax. I'm ready to talk some sports. Um, maybe throw a little bit of work in here before I go to bed, but been a good day and I'm, I'm excited to cap it off with you. Man, I think it takes me about an hour and a half to get on the bus go to costco i'll name drop them they're like canada's most trusted grocery grocery uh, brand so they don't need that much free publicity uh and i know i had three bags exactly because you count them when you're taking the bus back with them also and my hot dogs kids. i got my hot dogs oh yes did you see that dude who did the costco yeah, yeah. Hot dog diet? <laughs> and just look like he was in pain oh. and the review at the end he was like 10 out of 10 would do it again every yeah. time he spent 44 bucks for an entire week's worth of food um we won't talk about his stool but he got glizzy's galore protein yeah. content economic and got to just, slap down mad hot dogs yeah just the vibes man what who doesn't love being in costco every day <laughs> Oh man, what a concept! Those those workers probably felt sorry for him by the end of the week. Yeah. Like, you again? <laughs> You'd think he'd like bruise the free samples or something, like add a little variety to oh, the diet. God, yeah. But I Any guess that... vegetable, please. <laughs> they start uh, some choosing fiber. the samples to try and get him something. <laughs> Good lord! Yeah. Oh well, 
on that wonderful note, we've got a lot to chat about today uh, in our two-week absence, kind of Super Bowl style, where we, we get a week off from the football. I mean, Pro Bowl happened. Seemed like it was awesome for the players. Don't know how much the fans actually loved a 110-point flag football game, but um, yeah, I, I have no takes on it, so we can brush past it and, and talk f- f- football to kick off the pod here and and then we got a little bit of tennis and then maybe a little bit of hockey and basketball to wrap things up if we've got some time. But Max, we are now four days away from the climax and the completion of another fantastic year in the NFL. And we've got two historic, competent, exemplary fl- franchises going at it. Maybe fan bases, maybe not the two most favorite franchises in the league at this point. It's kind of like the Death Star versus Star Destroyer uh, in terms of who you can cheer for. Uh, But there's definitely some players on both teams that you definitely can can root for. And um, a ton of different storylines that that people have talked about over and over again. So I won't dwell on them now. But I thought I'd go through just in my mind's eye. The scenario that I foresee, we're just, it could be completely off. And if you're listening to this podcast after the Super Bowl, honestly, you're a sicko. But this is how I see it going on Sunday Niners, Chiefs. I looked at this game just from the perspective of units, which I've been kind, kind of doing the whole season, right? Like, who's got the best unit on the field? How do those units match up? Because in football, you never have offense going against offense, right? It's it's very uh, one-directional in that sense where you have two units always facing off against each other at the same time. It's like in the NHL, if you only ever matched up lines and it wasn't as free-flowing, right? So here in this game, you'd look beginning of the year, just without thinking, you'd go Kansas City offense, probably one of the best in the league. San Francisco 49ers defense, one of the best in the league. And those two things have actually flipped on both sides. Kansas City really struggled on offense for the majority of the season. A lot of drops from their wide receivers, a lot of struggles there. Travis Kelsey definitely has taken a step back in terms of his peak performance, right? His his climax as, a, as an athlete. Uh, and And he can give them now about two to three really good quarters, but definitely needs to take some more time off the field than you typically would have seen in the last couple of years. So with that being said, we look at what happened in the AFC Championship game. They win putting up 17 points, and that's not historically what you have seen from past Chiefs teams, but they've really relied on their defense who have been phenomenal through the first three rounds of these playoffs. Steve Spagnuolo, uh, just a genius when it comes to playoff football defense. Uh, really nullified Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, um, and and even Tua Tagovailoa and a Dolphins team that had one of the number one offenses in the league. So really kind of three talented teams that that they really shut down through the playoffs. And so I would give the edge to Kansas City's defense right now as the strongest unit of the four in this game and with the Niners losing Hafunga halfway through the year and then 
kind of weakening as it's gone along. They gave up a lot of big plays to Green Bay. They gave up uh, a surprising amount of yards to the Lions in the first half of that NFC championship. So right now I'm leaning towards Kansas City offense as well because they're going to, they just need to do enough. And there's enough talent and plays that you can't stop between Mahomes and Kelsey and then insert one of any of the three or four other guys in that offense. I think it's going to be a low scoring game with some long drives and both teams trying to control the clock. And when it comes down to it, I trust the Kansas City defense more. I trust the Kansas City offense more, however slightly of a margin that may be. And then I trust the Kansas City special teams more, which is something that people don't talk nearly as often. Harrison Bucker, almost automatic in the playoffs versus Jake Moody, first time, first year kicker, uh, had some really shaky moments already this season and in the playoffs, missing a kick last week against the Lions. So in all three asset facets of, of the game, I favor Kansas City. So it's hard not to pick them, which I will be doing in this Super Bowl. But it comes down to, again, uh, if you looked on paper at the beginning of the year, San Francisco has the more talented roster. And so will this shine through in the biggest spotlight? I'm leaning no, but I could very easily seeing it happen the other way. I think the winner of this game is the one who dictates the time of possession and whichever team can get a play that goes over 35 yards. Because again, a lot of what's going to happen is defense is going to tighten up. They're going to keep the ball in front of them. Not a ton of big plays between both of these teams once we've arrived in the playoffs. So whoever gets that one big play, I think, is the team that's going to get the seven-point swing. That could be crucial in a game that's likely going to go under 45 points. It's interesting because I felt like in the Ravens-Chiefs matchup, um, Kansas City completely controlled the time of possession, like you're pointing to for this game. But the Ravens were the big play team right until the end when Mahomes had that one 40, 50 yard pass to get the ball far enough to kneel out the rest of the game. But it felt like Kansas City was saying like, okay, you can have your fluke plays where Lamar catches his own pass and runs it for a first down, or he has that one crazy touchdown pass, but you're only getting so many of those. Whereas we're, we're just going to take our time on offense. And then like, you're getting such little time in your own end that those big plays are going to dry up. And I, that is not Purdy's style at all. So I, I think, I guess I can see that the time of the big plays will come with the time of possession, whichever team can take a hold of that. So what that means is, again, low scoring, long drives in the game. I see Mahomes going over in rushing yards. He just always has a couple of big runs in these Mm -hmm. games where he just manufactures yards out of thin air. I see the Chiefs really trying to stop this 49ers run offense. The Lions did a really good job of it last week before the Niners really started going and getting momentum in that game. And it, it stifled their offense, especially with Devo Samuel not being 100%. But I do see McCaffrey getting the ball in other ways. So I go under on the rushing yards and over on the receiving yards if you are betting props in this game, as as most folks are. Uh, and then I would say that we're going to see a, an interception from Brock Purdy. Uh, just missed, right? Mr. Irrelevant, last yeah. pick in the draft, making it to this stage. And it's been so incredible and so impressive of a story that he's played such competent football this entire year. But it's a different level. And Mahomes yeah. has already done it twice 
uh, and been in the Super Bowl three times. And it's just mistakes are going to come with your first time on this stage. Uh, The rhythm of the game is different than any other football game with longer breaks, more commercials, the halftime show, uh, all all of the glamour and and sideshow effects that happen during this Super Bowl that I think it gets to Brock Purdy. And that that leads it to another crushing play. I think there's one 40-plus yard play for Kansas City and one interception, and those are the two gut punches that San Francisco will look back on as they lose again to the Kansas City Chiefs for the second time in six years. Oh. That being said, at the end of the game, I am, unfortunately, I'm going to go lame and, and bet the heavy favorite. No proposal from Travis Kelsey to Taylor Swift, <laughs> who is dropping the Dead Poets Society, I mean, Tortured Poets Department album uh, in, in a couple of months here. Uh, I inject a little uh, storts here. Yeah, well, Re- we... <laughs> Republican Twitter went off, convinced that there is a whole like deep state push influencing like the super bowl narrative and that oh all of like he's gonna propose and then uh they're gonna endorse joe biden that's i don't know if you saw any of that but well it's... i saw the killer mike stuff that everyone was thinking he got arrested because he spoke out against biden a couple weeks ago at the grammys <laughs> oh i heard he got arrested but i don't think it's been uh no the grammys was, were again... this weekend whereas all this freaking out was like it was fucking like Vivek Ramaswamy who like ran for president and then got behind Trump with this like super conspiracy laden Z. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it it broke made me a little sad. Storts had died, so I had to mention that as no, it came. I love it. And other props here before we wrap up. Tails never fails. Gotta go tails. I'm going purple Gatorade that's being dumped on Coach Andy Reid, and then my. Lock again, don't listen to this after the Super Bowl, you sickos. My lock for the NFL Super Bowl halftime show presented by maybe Pepsi again this year. It's usually Pepsi. Usher starting out with oh my god. And then that's the second betting favorite. But how do you not start a concert with that absolute auto tune banger? I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to watch the event. I'll actually be able to watch all of it this year. I'm pumped. Who else is pumped? Let us know. That's it for Football Fan Cave this week. I've got to try and make Owen cringe. Let's talk some tennis. I've got to read out the best tweet I've seen in like a month first. Trigger warning ahead. Oh my gosh. Imagine being Travis Kelsey and knowing that in two to four years, the most commercially successful album of all time is going to be dedicated to calling you retarded. On to tennis because we have a big wreck. <laughs> Sorry, it's too good. I'm still trying to reset here. I'm shocked. I'm speechless. <laughs> Haven't heard that word in a minute, and it just gives it so much more power. I'm sorry. Yannick Sinner has won the Australian Open of 2024. Um, It feels like a bit lucky fluke or i was able to like look back in hindsight at the start of the tournament when i was talking about sinner's match first or second on the docket and mentioned like i don't know is going cold into a grand slam a good strategy or should you play another tournament and 
no more criticism for Sinner because dropping four sets total, he manages to win his first Grand Slam and convert a lot of this guy looks like he could. Will he? What are the steps he's going to take? He is on the threshold. I don't know if you've seen the art oh, of like all-time great rivalries decorating the halls of Wimbledon, um, kind of going throughout that iconic staircase. And right at the front, you've got Sinner and Alcaraz locked lock, arm in arm. Um, so absolutely vindicating a lot of potential. A great run from Sinner. He takes out Rublev in straight sets and what? is not too shocking a performance um but then kind of just confusing shocking blowing everyone away he takes out Djokovic in four and Novak frankly lucky to get that one set um one of the worst matches I've ever seen Djokovic play at in a grand slam which he himself said there were I saw a report last week that he had the flu but then I heard Goran, his coach, saying no, he was perfectly healthy. I do think early on Sinner just set such a high standard where he was winning the ground stroke rallies so dominantly against Djokovic that Novak felt he had to paint lines all match and be at his best. And that was the shape and form he was trying to get into. And so many unforced errors came because he just simply couldn't paint those lines. And he knew if he didn't do enough with those balls that he was eventually going to end up on the losing side of the rally. Uh, the other thing that bred a lot of speculation was there was no man in the mirror moment after going down two sets to love, no lengthy bathroom break, not a lot of emotion or aggression, almost seemed resigned to losing the match. And then to win in the finals, Yannick Sinner meets uh, Daniel Medvedev, who had just come back from being down two sets to love against Alex Zverev, who took out Alcaraz in the quarterfinals, which was another big upset. But Zverev actually leading that head-to-head, -head, both total and in Grand Slams now. And then Medvedev gets up two sets to love on Sinner and the toll of the longest ever time in a Grand Slam catches up with him. Yannick Sinner mounts the comeback and Medvedev's body simply has nothing left to give. A little disappointing to not see Alcaraz make that semifinal against Medvedev because as I said on the last pod, that top four right now of Sinner... Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev in no particularly order right out there. It just seems a cut above the rest of the tour right now. Maybe you can throw Zverev in there. Um, brackets and asterisks and all entailed. But it, it sets a really interesting point for the tour going forward with that top four. Where... Djokovic looked off all tournament. The first and second round, he should not have struggled so much to win. The third round, sure, fine, but you're playing someone almost as old who doesn't have the power that those other guys have that makes it a struggle for Novak at this point in his career. The Fritz win, you, you just have such a mental edge at this point. The 9-0, 10-0 head-to-head record. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Yeah. Alcaraz, maybe I said it last pod, I think maybe he's benefiting from a bit of the hype dying down. That South American swing coming up back on clay. We'll see if he plays the Rio event again to get ready for the sunshine double and before the clay season proper. But this, that South American swing is where he initially made his breakout two years ago. Um, whereas the indoor hard court just doesn't seem to be a surface he's figured out yet. Uh, so expecting to see his name winning some tournaments in the not too distant future. Yannick Sinner, it feels like the world's his oyster. I He played so well the entire Australian Open. It's a level people will aspire to reach for an entire career. So how the consistency looks from here is going to be interesting. But Rotterdam and indoor hardcourt, arguably his favorite surface so far, though maybe you say it's the outdoor courts in Melbourne now. Um, Rotterdam should treat him well. He won't be f facing defending champ Daniel Medvedev there as Medvedev continues his record of never having defended a title or even won the same tournament twice, uh, dropping out of Rotterdam um, after playing 25 hours on court in the two weeks in Australia. Uh, he, Medvedev really had one of the craziest runs we've seen the last year starting in Rotterdam before winning Dubai, um, going to the Indian Wells finals. I think he won in Doha as well before winning Miami. Even won that Rome Masters event about a month and a bit after. Um, so backing up Dubai, Indian Wells finals, Miami, going to be important for Medvedev to stay in. Uh, but it'll just like, will those four continue to be a cut above the tour and inevitably meet? And like, we see those rivalries each develop in their own way because any way you slice it, Novak Medvedev, Novak Alcaraz, Novak Sinner, and on and on is a really interesting matchup with plenty of story at this point and seems like the best match you can get in men's tennis right now. On the women's side, Arnia Sabalenka, defends her Australian Open title, become the two-time Grand Slam champion, and does it without dropping a set, which is a massive trajectory shift for her. After locking up that world number one spot in the US Open, nothing really went right for her. Uh, she had the brutal finals just uh, come back against her by Coco Gauff, and from there, she just it seemed mathematically almost impossible for her to not lock up the world number one for the year. And yet she just fell off. And something you can say to Iga Sviatek having the perfect outdoor surface for her, almost as close to clay as you can get at in Cancun for the WTA finals, but still just a lot in flux, a lot in doubt until this tournament started and she looked almost untouchable, except for one set against Coco Gauff, where she really got to just take the mental resiliency another step further after a back and forth for set, really locking it up in the tiebreak and then biding her time and finding her moment in that second set, a much closer match then uh, the finals against Kinwin Zhang. That might or might not be it. Um, who she also beat at the US Open. Um, it's 
I don't, I feel like both Iga Sviatek and Elena Rybakina had players really bring their level way higher than you would normally expect from them. And that's why they both lost in the early rounds um, for multiple matches in a row, especially for Iga. I don't think anyone did that against Sabalenka, which isn't an asterisk, but just a, why wasn't there tougher competition for her in the finals? Well, because the other top seeds had to deal with something she didn't, um, but she never even gave anyone other than Coco half a chance to get their claws into matches. So hard to fault them too, too much for that. Sabalenka also taking some time off from the tour before she's going to aim for that sunshine double. I think the a Miami win would be especially big for her as she trains out of Florida. Um, but with the 2000 points, the majority that she won in the first quarter of the season, tennis season, which was fantastic for her last year, defended um, a lot of doubt squashed. And if you listen to her talk about the mental game being the most important thing and it clicking for her right now, uh, she looks like one of the most dominant players on the women's side of the tour. And um, really looking forward to seeing Triatek, Rybakina, Coco Goff all step up their levels and try and match that to keep a similarly healthy top four going on the women's side. But who knows? Looking forward to finding out, though, um, quick notes about what's going on right now on the tour. Alexander Bublik wins in Marseille after going down in the first set to both Denis Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Aliassime. Uh, the Open Sud event happening in France as well right now. Chapo already out to Hugo Gaston. Felix with a seed waiting to start in the second round. Andy Murray with an unfortunate 0-4 start to the season. He might be dropping down to the challengers, but you've got to respect the spirit. Uh, the man refuses to quit as long as he's having fun trying, and I think the entire tennis world rooting for him. In uh, Doha on the women's side, a 500-level event going on with Rybakina competing. Uh, Danielle Collins, who gave... Iga, a hell of a match at the Australian, takes out Naomi Osaka. And then on the bottom half, Emma Radanku. I actually don't know how to pronounce that girl's last name. Um, former US Open champ uh, will face Ons Jabur in the second round after winning her first round match. So we'll see who wins that 500 level event. I guess it's Tuesday. We're not that far into the week. Next week, yeah, I, that's all the tennis I got to talk for now. So I think we have some time for some other sports hero. Basketball and hockey to finish up. We are in all-star season and we never got a chance to kind of talk about our all-stars in both sports, but I uh, have already seen mm -hmm. one all-star weekend come through and then the other one will be uh, over that kind of family day weekend in a couple of weeks here or President's Day if you are down south. And I guess we'll start hockey first because it, it happened this past weekend. Um, really popular locally. I think the most alive the city of Toronto's been in a while since the, the pandemic and finally able to have a big international event 
with sports, always a little bit fun with, with sports and kind of giving people a taste of what that FIFA World Cup's going to look like in two years mm-hmm. as they announce the uh, the opening match to be in Toronto uh, with Canada partaking. So that, that, that'll be really, really exciting. But um, yeah, cool to have the city alive. Seemed like a fantastic event from an outside perspective. People... All I've heard is is positive feedback on people at the event, um, TV less so, but seemed like everyone was having fun with it. Connor McDavid uh, always a lock to win the skills challenge, and overall, uh, you can never complain about the hometown team getting the W and and Team Matthews winning the three on three all-star event if you want to call it and him winning the mvp just capped off a really really fun weekend in the nhl i think they did a good job because most people just hated the all-star weekend in florida last year despite it being a much nicer destination so hats off to the nhl for listening there and taking the steps in the right direction to improve that event um we come out of all-star weekend into the press conference that happened yesterday by the London Police Department. Um, I don't need to jump in too much to that because it's already been dissected in every which way. I commend TSN for their coverage of it, and I commend all of the reporters that have done such a fantastic job bringing that to the spotlight. This is going to be one of the biggest stories in Canada for the next year two years depending on how long the legal procedure comes out um not just in sport but as a whole because of all of the things that have happened with hockey canada and and the microscope that that organization is now under so it's it it was uh coming out of a massive success for the nhl they weren't necessarily involved but their players were involved and Mm -hmm. they had to sit back and and have this go center stage uh on yesterday on monday and um i thought for the most part the police department did a good job about 75 percent a couple of comments in there that i think didn't get delivered in the best way uh and, and it's always shocking how people make mistakes in these press conferences when you've got so many paid professionals now that basically hand feed you a script um but we we know that things are heading in the right direction about getting justice for that victim and there will be plenty more that'll come out on that story and then as we come through that monday we're back into games tonight and the biggest story that we missed max over the last two weeks in the nhl world uh on the ice was the trade of elias lindholm from the calgary flames to the vancouver canucks a, I mean, to put it bluntly, an overpayment by the Vancouver Canucks, but in very short order here with him already scoring two goals tonight in his debut against the Carolina Hurricanes, one that looks really, really good for them. And it's one of those trades where you reward the team for how they've performed this season. They don't care about the picks and prospects going the other way. And mm-hmm. while it's an overpayment on paper, none of it matters if they win a cup. And this team is instantly poised and positioned to have a much stronger chance with the addition of this player who is an 
uh, is a fantastic two-way forward and can flex onto the wing in your top six, even your top line if you need him to, um, and adds extra value there on the power play. So just from a purely winning perspective, it's a fantastic move. Say all you want about the deal on paper and, and the payment involves it's a great trade compared to the jets paying two first round picks for sean monahan i'll I'll say that yeah that was that was a fleecing and a half if i've ever seen one but they add him that's the big story tonight and then additionally oilers vegas tonight edmonton going for a tie of the record 17 straight wins so we'll be ready to recap that the next time we chat once we know the result of that game, but I'll definitely be tuning in to the first period and then going to bed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little basketball here. All-stars on the other side. No real snubs in the Eastern conference. I'd say some people have their gripes about Trey young. Some people have their gripes about Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Derek white, uh, obviously Scotty Barnes here on the Toronto side. Um, but definitely I felt that one of De'Aaron Fox or Demonis Sabonis should have been in the All-Star game over Carl Anthony Towns. That seemed like a, a shocking decision to me, especially if they are not putting Trey Young in, then Carl Anthony Towns sometimes feels like a similar player where there's potentially a lot of empty stats. Less so empty this year with Minnesota being one of the top three teams in yeah. the West. Um, so changes that perspective for sure. And Carl Anthony Towns definitely deserving of being an all-star, but was surprised that both the Kings got snubbed. We then saw Scotty and Trey get in for Joel Embiid and Julius Randle, both missing time for injuries. Joel Embiid actually going under the knife for surgery to repair his torn meniscus, which leaves him to be questionable to return for the rest of the season, which is a massive blow to the Philadelphia 76ers who have looked really, really great this season. He still could potentially come back, but you worry about any sort of rush there and and what that timetable looks like with an injury like that and, and the injury history that he's had on his knees at his size. So it's super unfortunate from a league perspective because he is having his best career, one of the greatest seasons we've seen by a center ever in the history of the NBA. And uh, yeah, just the fact that he's going to go down makes things a little bit less exciting in that Eastern Conference. Um, but it's exciting for Scotty to get in because it's been the only bright spot of this horrendous Raptors <laughs> season so far. They've won three of their last 17, and we are on a pretty steep downwards trajectory here. Yeah, there's so much to touch on having been away for two weeks uh, it's a matter of little surprise how poorly the raptors are doing after getting rid of those players and now they're just in a race to the bottom six to try and hang on to this pick i did want to ask if you have a timeline in your head for this rebuild and i don't think you can call it a retooling at this point like two years three years i i don't really know what's fair and realistic to set so how old is scotty right now i'm that not sure be, but that would be my question you you this season's a wash you just pray the raptors fall to the bottom or get lucky enough in the lottery to hang on to that top six pick you try and 
prep for it by thinking, okay, like getting, getting these young guys, getting Grady Dick a little more NBA adjusted, figuring out what you have with Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett, flip, like try, try and get exposure and the young guys to play a little more, build something. And then it doesn't matter if you have the pick or not, you can't expect anything the year after that. So it's probably another wash of a year. You hope for a good pick then. And then the next season, can you get hopeful for that next season? Like that seems best case. I don't want to think about the worst case. Uh, a couple other things I want to touch on just if you have a. I mean, number. that's the, that's the hopeful season is that that is two years from now. Scotty Barnes is currently 22. I don't think we realistically have deep playoff run expectations on this Raptors team at this point until 2027 so when he's 26 yeah and that's hoping scotty stays which og liked toronto pascal liked toronto i have no idea so far what scotty the, the difference is is he is their fourth overall pick and he's already who we've we've seemingly seen the system built around yeah but you never know Especially in a league where there's only one Canadian team. Dear God, he won't turn down the money though. They'll re-sign him. It just comes down to if he declares a trade. That's kind of the new yeah. method yeah. that we've seen in the NBA. A couple of other things I wanted to touch on is it's actually a really bad time for the 76ers for Embiid to get injured. They are fifth in the NBA. They're you're not worried about dropping off out of playoff or play in contention, but they're only three games ahead of the magic for the play in right now. So Embiid is out for four weeks minimum before reevaluation, if my understanding is correct. And um, they, they might end up with some really tough seating here. I mean, if you're a top three, top four team, you don't want to run into them in that first round. But if you're the 76ers with the playoff record that you have, it's quite concerning and not a good spot to be in. A big part of that is because the Cleveland Cavaliers have clawed their way up to second in the league right now. And I thought, or I'd heard one of the bigger all-star snubs was Jared Allen, who's been the second man uh, on that squad with Evan Mobley out and really responsible for that push since, I think, mid-November. They've been the best team in the league for over a month now, and if he hadn't got hurt the other night, it would have been 17 straight double-doubles he's had. It's yeah. He's had a really great stretch. So... <laughs> And at one point we were like, wow, these one and done East teams, but Cleveland showing the roster building has been successful. And no one's mentioned Donovan Mitchell wanting to go elsewhere for almost two months now. So better times for the Cavaliers. Yeah. They're still a wait and see team in the playoffs though for me, because they Absolutely. really got out physical by New York last year. Uh, we're basically out of time, but the Clippers' ridiculousness is also something we haven't we, touched on this. We got to reserve some time for them next yeah. week. Uh, they're unbelievable right now, and S might be the team that is the kryptonite for the Denver Nuggets. Looking forward to next week. Nice to be back on the pod. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, a sports next door signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Fishing town, yeah they're fishing, that ain't all.